Welcome to Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. Are you hungry to hear more about our beautiful Savior Jesus? Well, the Bible declares that grace and peace are multiplied to us in the knowledge of Jesus. Join me for revelatory teaching, interviews with leaders in the body of Christ, and testimonies of God's goodness in your life. Thanks for joining the conversation to reveal more of Jesus to a hurting world today. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I am your host, Christina, and I'm so happy to have you with me here today. First off, I want to say Happy New Year. I hope and I pray that your 2022 is off to a great start, and I know that God has amazing things in store for His body this year, and it's such a privilege and honor to bring you this hope-filled message right at the beginning of the year, and I feel like the Lord is really doing this on purpose because He wants to give you some hope. He's got some great plans for this year. And you know, God is a God of hope. He's always got hope on his mind. He expects good and and we can partner with them in that mindset. And this episode today that I have for you, it is going to inspire you and encourage you. I had the privilege of sitting down with uh, one of the senior leaders of Bethel Church in Redding, California, author and pastor uh, Bill Johnson. And for those of you who follow his ministry, you know he is known uh, for revelation and, and things like that on the heart of God, the mind of God, the renewing of our minds. And what a great opportunity right at the top of the year to renew our minds to hope and the goodness of God and what God wants to do in 2022. So I know this inspiring conversation is going to impart wisdom to you and uh, faith to believe God for good in the new year. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our Christina Prayer Ministry sponsors. Thank you to Gopher Ministries, who provides all of our equipment rental for our gospel events. Davis Financial Services, who provides all of our financial accounting. Harvest Family Network, through which I am licensed and ordained. And Life Changing Productions, who helps us put together evangelistic events to reach our city for Jesus. If these podcasts are blessing you, I would just encourage you to sew back into it. Uh, help us continue to bring you these inspiring interviews all year long. We're so thankful for your love, your support, your downloads, your prayers. You are changing nations, and we are so thankful for you. I have some amazing faith-building resources for you from Bill Johnson available in our show notes, so make sure you check those out. Uh, to get those today. And don't forget to get a copy of his book, The Mind of God. I absolutely loved it. I think I marked every single page in it with something profound and revelatory impacting that he said. So without further ado, let's listen in to my conversation with Bill Johnson. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I am your host, Christina, and I am so excited to have you with me here today. I hope and I pray that you are doing well right where you are and enjoying the continuously flowing favor of grace pouring from our beautiful Savior and Father in heaven. I've got a great show for you today. 
I have an amazing leader in the body of Christ with me. He is the senior pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California, and the author of The Mind of God. Welcome to the podcast, Bill Johnson. Oh, thank you. Thanks. It's a great privilege to be with you. Well, the privilege is is all mine. I am just so wrecked by the goodness of God, and I yeah. absolutely love your ministry, and I love um, how you have hungered and thirsted after God. Despite obstacles, you're impacting the world, and it's incredible mm. to have you. Well, it really is a, a treat to be with you, and wow. it's fun that we get to exalt Jesus together. You know what? There's nothing better in the world. <laughs> that's I mean, the truth. I mean, I mean, it's what we live for, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the truth. I have told our listeners so much about you. Can you share something with them? Maybe that I haven't already shared. Maybe something personal. Oh goodness, I uh, uh, I've been married to my most amazing wife for 48 years. We have three children, each of whom married wonderful, wonderful spouses. We have 11 grandchildren. Uh, the last two were adopted by my son, Brian, his wife, Jen. And uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's quite a, a wild ride in our household. They range from, uh, oh goodness, a year and a half or so to uh, 21 years old and everything in between. You know, I, uh, I've never met anyone who at the end of their life said, I spent too much time with my children, or I spent yeah. too much time with my grandchildren. Usually the regret is opposite. And, uh, and so while I, I love serving the nations and our own local church, uh, the great privilege for me is, is loving my family well. I love that so much. And you've really modeled that, I think, for so many who followed your ministry and and I, and I absolutely love that. I remember hearing this story. I don't remember where you shared it, but um, you talk about how on your birthday, you give presents to <laughs> all of your kids and grandkids. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great fun. It's, uh, it's, it's fun overhearing my grandchildren talk. And uh, one of them will ask the other, what are you, what are you going to ask Papa for his birthday? And uh, I, I realized that I'm right there under Christmas in their minds. So that's good. I like that. <laughs> I love that so much. And I, I got to tell you, Christmas in our household is big. I have a six-year-old and she has been, you know, counting down the days. <laughs> yep. You bet. That's so fun. Since March. So I get it. I get yeah. it so much. You know, we only get one chance, you know, one lifetime to display the kindness and the goodness, the generosity of our heavenly father. Yeah. And so it's just one of the ways that I, that I've been embraced to try to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. And I was sitting here thinking, isn't that just like God, you know, he gave us the best gift yeah, on, yeah. on Christmas morning, you know, hopefully that's what we're all celebrating in the Christian world, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I had a chance to read through the mind of God. And I got to tell you, I think I highlighted and tagged so many pages in this book. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so the mind of God, how his wisdom can transform our world. Yeah. Yeah. What was your inspiration in, in, in writing this book? How did, how did that come about? Well, uh, Solomon is a, is a favorite um, person uh, of mine in the Bible. He's one of the guys that I, 
I, uh, I admire so much. And I know that he ended, uh, you know, tragically, but it wasn't the fault of wisdom. It was, <laughs> he stopped reading his own book of Proverbs. That's why he got so messed up. Mm. But uh, I, I admire his moment in God where he could have anything and he chose wisdom, and which really is the mind of Christ. He mm. chose to see from divine perspective. And that really is what the renewed mind is all about. And so I tell our folks, I say, listen, if the mind wasn't important, it wouldn't be worth renewing. And so our whole, our whole Christian life is learning to see through the heart and mind of God. And, uh, and that we can call it wisdom. We can call it the mind of Christ. We can, there's so many different ways to describe it, but it's all the same, basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what it comes down to is, you know, Solomon was so uh, impacting on the world, on the nations of the world of his day, that uh, the kings and leaders would pay any price to come and sit at his feet. The, the point being that, that God has solutions for every nation's problems, every nation's challenges, every leader's questions. He has the answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, of, uh, instead of giving up on, uh, on what God intends to do in the, in the nations because they're so evil, instead of doing that, how about let's tap into the heart and mind of God and see what, what answers he has. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, that's really the inspiration is, is just wanting to bring about transformation of cities and nations. I love that so much. You know, I love that scripture that says Christ has been made unto us wisdom, redemption and uh, justification. Yeah. 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 And uh, he's all those things. I love that um, the Apostle Paul, he tells the Galatian church, clearly Christ was portrayed to you as the wisdom of God, the supreme wisdom of God, where justice and mercy met. Beautiful. And, and it is, it is, it's all Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, we can tap into that wisdom. Yes. You know? So in a way, we have something greater than even Solomon had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. You said in your book, uh, his glorious redemptive work made it possible for us to see God's purpose, purposes accomplished for humanity while we are on the earth. The escapism approach completely undermines the significance of the message we carry that the kingdom is at hand. Yeah. Can you talk about that? <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. uh, for, first of all, the, the return of Jesus is going to be the most glorious thing ever. And so I would never want to say or imply anything that would uh, and somehow degrade that coming event. But many believers assume that the answer for the world's problems is found in the return of Christ and not in the power of the gospel. Yeah. And we've got to make that adjustment in our thinking because the return of Christ only fixes stuff for the believer, doesn't fix stuff for the world. Right. And the, the power of the gospel is what brings transformation into this world. You know, we know uh, all who are listening to this our followers of Jesus know that the power of God, the wisdom of God can bring transformation to a life. We know Mm -hmm. that that drug addict can be totally set free and set on a a redemptive course to be a contributor to society. We have to remember that what God will do for that individual, he will also do for his family line, his descendants, which means he also is willing to do that for his neighborhood. 
is also willing to do that for his city, his state, his nation. In other words, it doesn't stop. It's the same gospel. The power of the gospel is what brings change. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just, I just want to see people just, uh, yes, we must be ready for the return of the Lord, but we have to live as though we're going to have an entire lifetime to display the wonder, the beauty, the power of the gospel to bring transformation. So that's that's kind of the 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 point that I that I run to in this uh, in this book and really in life. Absolutely, there's coming a point when that day comes. You know, when we are all snatched away and uh, taken into heaven with Jesus. Right there in that moment, things are there's things that have been decided in people's lives, you know, and, it, and if we kind of retreat into our own holes and say, okay, I'm not going to take this gospel into the world. What about those people? Exactly. What's going to yeah. happen? You know, yeah. and that just, for me, like I've just allowed God to break my heart for what breaks his. And, and those are the yeah. things I weep over, you know? Yeah. 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 That's, that's beautiful. You, you went on to say neither the reformation nor the two great awakenings came from that line of thinking that we need to be rescued. We're designed as overcomers and those who are convinced of the heart of God for people carry a conviction of the superiority of his message. Uh, one of the things that I admire most about uh, John Calvin and some of the guys there in Geneva, uh, that part of the world, was they, they just lived with this conviction that God had answers, solutions, not just to problems, but had ways to do life, ways to live. They just believed that in the scripture, there was insight for banking. Um, they had, uh, the Bible gave insight for family, how to do family or medicine, uh, science, uh, teaching. God is the best teacher, so he certainly understands education. And so they they lived with this conviction that that there that God has a way for us to do life that's not just about us getting people saved and then waiting for Jesus to return, but that we were actually, as Jesus taught, a city set on a hill, a community that is lit up with divine uh, beauty, wonder, and order that would attract people into it. And uh, so that's that's really the heart of the Reformation in my way of thinking. And, and the purpose for uh, for the book, uh, The Mind of God, is, is that God has ways for us to do life that actually attract and invite lost people. Here's the amazing thing. If somebody may come to you, for example, they may come to you not because they want to know Jesus. Now, that's what we want everyone to hunger for. But they may come to you just because they see how beautiful your family is, how your child respects you and responds to you. And so they watch. They watch the result of, of how you do life and how Jesus has affected your life. And the Bible mm -hmm. says, taste and see. And so we have the privilege of allowing people to taste of the goodness of God taste of the ways of his kingdom and whatever they taste will change what they see and so they they suddenly begin to see uh, the goodness of god the wonder of the father and uh, and hunger for him is created out of the fact that they get to at least in part experience what it is that we have learned and experienced in our own walk with the lord mm -hmm. um, so that really is the heart for me uh, of the reformation is god just has a way for us to do life. We get to illustrate it. 
And uh, in fact, Jesus put it this way, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your father. Mm -hmm. So what we want is we want our lifestyle to ignite passion for God in the hearts of people. Mm -hmm. I love uh, you talked about us being salt in the earth. And I, that's absolutely it. Um, the places in our lives where, where God has transformed us, people then can see and then hunger for that. And uh, you said something in your book that I really liked. You said uh, in practical pursuits, you said we wanted people touched by God wherever they were, instead of having to come to our church to benefit from what we have to offer. And it's not that we don't want people to attend our fellowship of believers. Certainly we are delighted when they do. We just changed the way we measured our success as a church. Our church changed from an increased attendance on Sundays to a transformed attitude and value system of our city. Can you talk about that? You should all love the corporate gatherings. No question. It's, it's like my favorite time of the week is to get everybody crammed into the building to worship, exalt Jesus together, to study the scripture together. It's just a highlight. Mm -hmm. But if, we, if, that, if our only understanding of life in Christ is a corporate gathering, then we don't know how to translate how God has impacted us in, that, in the four walls of the church, so to speak. We don't know how to translate his impact on how we relate to our neighbors, on how we uh, join with our business associates to impact their lives and to love them or to care for them. And, uh, and it's gotta be more practical. It can't be about just about getting more bodies into the building. Because if you look, one of the strange uh, phenomena in, in the nation is that the church, excuse me, the cities that have the highest percentage of church attendance, excuse me, the highest numbers of people in church attendance in that city, they also have the highest rate of of uh, moral decline and, uh, you know, the things from abortion to um, a divorce to, you know, bankruptcy to all that sort of stuff. So it's not the fault of the church. It's just the church hasn't yet learned how to translate what we experience together. How do, how do we translate that? I, I like to put it this way. If God touches me powerfully in our gathering together, then I have the responsibility to have that that impact on my life, it's got to benefit my city. Mm -hmm. It's got to benefit my city. It's got to, it's, it's not just about another meeting. Mm -hmm. It's about that I am changed to be more effective and loving and caring for my city. So that really, uh, I hope that makes sense. That's, that's, kind of, that's kind of our approach is, is that we want what we experience together to impact us so deeply that we are of greater benefit to our city. 100%. You know, I always tell people uh, revival starts personally. It starts with a uh, transformed man or a woman of God so convinced of the power of God in their own life that they can't wait to give it away. You know, yeah. they 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 can't wait to run into the streets and tell people about the Jesus they just encountered, you know, and um you, and that's a big part of my ministry is inspiring others to, to partake of that great commission that we've all been called to. And I love what you said. Um, 
You said, this is the backbone of our commission. Everything we do from raising healthy families to preaching the gospel, to praying for the sick, to leading people to Jesus, it's all done to complete this glorious assignment, pray and obey until, until this world looks like heaven upon earth. And that's been a big part of your ministry is inspiring people to take what's happening in heaven, what heaven looks like and bring it to earth. So how have you been able to cultivate like a personal revival in your life that then sparked what was going on in your, your church and your ministry? Well, I think the, the first thing is that the, is my focus is not on ministry success, whether that be uh, numbers of people in the room or the amount of healings or salvations or whatever. The focus is on my personal affection for the Lord. It's the personal adoration. It's, it's the whole world slows down because I have this, this moment of deep affection and adoration for who Jesus is. And it's not about me performing well for him, although I, obviously I want to do that. and I want to have impact on the world around me. What motivates me isn't any of that. The, the motivation is to develop and nurture an affection and adoration and awe for who he is. And mm. for me, that's what it means to abide in Christ. For me, that's what, that's what anchors me into the heart of Jesus so that I can represent him well. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus only did what he saw the Father do, which meant sometimes he fed the multitudes, sometimes he healed the sick, but sometimes he went up on a mountain to pray. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it, it wasn't about... Uh, getting the most bang for his buck, so to speak. It was about staying near to what mattered most. And that was uh, his delight and pleasure in the Father. Uh, the best I know how, that's, that's what I try to do. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, and it's so beautiful in this kind of Christian walk that we get to walk out is, is, is our passion comes out of that intimacy with him. It doesn't come from how many books we've read. It doesn't come from our theological degrees. It comes from that intimate burning, that passionate knowledge, that those, those times away with him on the mountain. And then we come down and we feed the multitude and, and, and do the such and such, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well you talked about this encounter that you had with God, about how he spoke to you through Isaiah 60 about how we are, you know, commanded to rise and shine and how that's become one of the biggest parts of your life and ministry. Can you, can you talk about that moment? Can you share that with our listeners? I, I, I tell folks I've had, I've had two major encounters with the Lord. One was an experience. It was him coming in great power into, uh, into my bedroom in the middle of the night. And, uh, but the other was not an experience. It wasn't uh, a, something that I felt. It was, it was something that happened on the inside of me in mm -hmm. my world of understanding. Uh, we would call it revelation. Mm -hmm. Not revelation in addition to scripture, but revelation of the scripture. Right. And, uh, and I, it was a Thursday afternoon. I could show you where I was. A Thursday afternoon uh, in the month of May in 1979. And I was walking in this back part of our sanctuary and I was reading as it was my custom. I like to or pray and read the scripture at the same time. I like to have that going. So as I was reading, I, I just happened to be at Isaiah 60 in my reading. And there was such clarity 
of thinking, such clarity. I, I was seeing things as I was reading, hearing things that I'd never heard before. And I, I, I started to see, well, it says, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So there was a command for us to take our place. Then it says, uh, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth. Well, that's the truth. Deep darkness, the people, the mental depression you see on people all around you. But then he says, but the Lord has risen upon you. And so we have a responsibility not to be defined by what's going on around us, but by being a people that rise in the middle of the craziness, the chaos. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on and he says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. It goes on from there, but let's just stop there for just a moment. He began to, to show me and speak to me. Well, if I, if I could go back to something we talked about earlier, he, he, that verse, nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising, is what happened to Solomon. When he tapped into that wisdom of the almighty God, the nations came to receive from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they came to his rising, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so he was a forerunner in that sense of what the body of Christ is supposed to be in the last days. A people with divine wisdom and power. It's the combination of the two mm-hmm. that, uh, that really illustrate who, who Jesus is. And uh, so that began to open up to me. And it just changed my way of thinking. Changed my thinking on the church, our responsibility, our destiny, our purpose. All those things began to be impacted just deeply on that uh, that Thursday afternoon. And I, I thought it was just for us. I thought it was just insight for you know, our, our local church there. And, uh, and as I began to pray into it, study it, talk to others about it, I started to see that it was, it was something that was not just nationwide, but worldwide. What mm-hmm. God had intended to do in and through his people uh, really was anchored in Isaiah 60. So anyway, it was a, it was a life-changing moment for me that, that if I could also emphasize another part, it was very subtle. You know, uh, the scripture says when, uh, of the burning bush, when Moses turned aside, the Lord spoke. And so for me, this Isaiah 60 was a burning bush. And when I turned aside, the Lord took a small moment and turned it into a life-changing moment. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, sometimes I think we get, especially in the charismatic church, we get caught up in the the massive manifestations of this that and the other and while they're all glorious no matter how he comes they can all always be so impactful whether it's um, really seen with our eyes or seen inwardly in our heart and and they are all beautiful yeah yeah that's the truth how true that scripture became in your own ministry because the world has truly come to the brightness of your ministry, the the Bethel Church ministry. I can attest to that. The world has taken notice. It's been a great example in my life, but hopefully it will be a small example of what he wants to do globally, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's beautiful. We're a very tiny part of what God is doing, but I am glad we can be a part. Absolutely. I mean, we are all a part of that, the unveiling of the glorious Jesus and this glorious gospel. You talked about lines that divide us and keep us from fulfilling our assignment well, not because they have, you know, no theological truth behind them, but because maybe they've been misapplied or they're separating us from a chance to succeed in our God-given call. Can you talk about some of those lines? How can we 
how can we erase them? Because there's a lot of lines drawn right now across the world, across the body of Christ. How can we start to break down those lines so that we can work together and help fulfill the Great Commission? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a great challenge for us because, you know, let's be honest, all the folks that are are listening to this show, to this broadcast, have a real hunger for God. They wouldn't be here otherwise. Mm -hmm. All of us are doing what we know to do to honor Jesus and to illustrate him, model his life to the world. And so we, we don't lack, we don't lack desire. We don't lack intent. Um, for the most part, all of us have said yes, and we just want Jesus exalted. Mm-hmm. But how that's done is, uh, is different. Um, for, for example, when you become a believer, the Lord, um, he, he erases the line between secular and sacred. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't mean there's no secular part of society that we're to have nothing to do with it. You know, the strip clubs and what all the, you know, those are things that we don't ever want to join in and, and mimic in any way. But there's something uh, p- people, when I grew up in the church, I would notice people would say, well, uh, speaking of my dad, you you know, your dad is called to the ministry. We are called to business. And there is no there is no secular part of the Christian life, or we shouldn't be in it. Uh, so that means then, if I'm called to business, then business is now holy. Business, my call to education, my call to medicine, whatever it might be, is as important in the eyes of the Lord as is the missionary that is called to the you know, the dark continent of Africa. I, I don't want to lessen our celebration of the missionary or the evangelist or whatever. I just want to raise our understanding on how God views the dentist who has been assigned by the Lord as a minister of the gospel in that sphere of society, uh, the school teacher, etc. And so um, I grew up with this distinction between what was ministry, what was godly, and what was secular. And it's just not true. It's not found, it's not found in scripture. Uh, the, for the, the most part, the body of Christ is actually, rep, uh, excuse me, Jesus is represented by a high, high percentage of believers that are in the marketplace. They're in society. They're not in, in uh, quote, quote, unquote, full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. They're not in ministry uh, paid positions. And if we don't, if we don't learn how to erase that line in our understanding, then we will always anticipate much less than what God intended for us to expect. And mm-hmm. So it, it, it just means, you know, the real estate agent can live with as much power. In fact, I, I just thinking of one of my friends in real estate this morning, he's a very, very strong prophetic voice, a tremendous discernment. And uh, I would trust him in so many different ministry situations, yet God has him in real estate. Mm. And uh, he represents the Lord in purity and in power. And that's what we want. We want the school teacher to to, uh, use their voice to encourage, strengthen, empower children uh, to be, you know, to be, to step into their destiny and purpose. So uh, the whole line between secular and sacred is uh, is very, very significant to me. yeah, so that's that's what we see the Lord doing. So we just see him erasing erasing lines. Uh, for example, uh, another one would be uh, between the natural and the supernatural. Um, most of us think in terms of our natural life, and then we have a supernatural life. Uh, 
but God only has one, and it's the natural. Mm-hmm. All of it is his natural. Uh, he doesn't have to, you know, turn the knob up when he's going to do something supernatural, whether it's whether it's the growing of a crop through rain and sunshine and nutrients in the soil, the planted seed, of course, or it's a supernatural multiplying of food, uh, the boy's lunch where multitudes are fed. It's all in his sphere of normal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, the more our mind gets renewed, the more we realize, uh, you know, what God is to be glorified. If the crop grows well, uh, we just have a, a situation we're acquainted with where uh, in a major, major drought, and they, they just didn't have it uh, anyway to have a decent sized crop. And they had this sense that, uh, that they were to pray for supernatural growth of a crop even though there wasn't the necessary water. And it was a, it ended up being a crop. There's no explanation for it. It ended up being a crop that was like 10 times their norm. It was wow. an extraordinary increase where the Lord was able to move in the midst of lack and do a supernatural thing. So the, the point is, is we have to change our thinking there as well. You know, mm-hmm. I want to honor the doctor that uh, serves in a natural realm, but I also want the supernatural influence in that, uh, in that uh, practice of medicine. And, uh, and as a result, we have uh, a whole host of medical doctors that serve in our community. Uh, we were uh, in a doctor's office here a couple of months ago, um, and the, uh, the doctor closed the door, brought another doctor in, closed the door behind her, and together they laid hands on my wife. They began to prophesy over her. And I mean, it's just extraordinary to, to work with these people who are so highly gifted and skilled in the natural, but also knew how to partner with the Holy Spirit to do what he could do. And uh, so anyway, they, that line is being erased between natural and supernatural as well. So we just see him doing a lot of those kinds of transformational uh, things for us. I absolutely, I absolutely love that. And, you know, I, I think sometimes too, people kind of get this idea that, you know, the doctor's report is evil or, you know, kind of things yeah. like that. And they don't always realize that the doctors are on the same team as God, you know? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you. And, um, you know, I've walked through my own journey with that. And, you know, I've had moments where the doctors are like, okay, we can't, we can't explain it. That just doesn't happen, but it does. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And um, it, it is awesome. I love that you're seeing that line between the supernatural and the natural, well, what we would call the natural or race, because God really doesn't see that. He sees us in Christ and him and us, and we are one. And he sees he's, he sees so much differently than we see. And I, I, I love the, the renewal of the mind to see Christ in us and Christ in our brothers and sisters. You know, one hundred percent. Because sometimes I, I think if we could see that way, I think honor would flow a bit more freely. You know, yeah. you're right. Yeah, and and so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what God is doing in this hour, and and I do believe He is He is reforming His church, and uh, it's amazing. Um, you know, you said something that really stood out to me when you were talking about the teacher and realizing that she's what she's carrying into that classroom. You talked about in your book about seeing significance correctly breeds trust and humility. Our significance is tied directly to the one 
who has called us. And it's not something based on our goodness. It's based on his. And I think if, if we can see ourselves, our call as significant, if she could, if the teacher out there could see that call as significant, that she's carrying Christ into that classroom, um, what would you tell her right now? Um, words are powerful. Um, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. She can make one statement into a student's life that they will never forget, literally never forget the rest of their life. They may even pretend to ignore it, but the fact that she can deposit the wisdom, the reality of God, the presence of God into a person's life, a child's life, through seeing what others around them can't see, uh, it marks them. It, it marks all of us are marked by people who have said the right word at the right time. And, uh, and teachers have an amazing opportunity to see beyond the obvious. Uh, every, anyone can find a fault. Uh, uh, we, we put it this way. Uh, it's not hard for a gold miner to, uh, to find dirt. But mm -hmm. to find gold is the challenge. And so that's what I would say to the teacher is to look for the gold because it's there. God puts something in every child that is very, very significant. And uh, what we give attention to is what grows. And so the teacher has a, an amazing opportunity uh, in Christ to speak to those things. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I just, uh, I get excited for, for, uh, for the transformation in children's lives that can take place simply because the teacher just believes for the impossible. Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes down to. Just believe for the impossible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you, um, you talked about a psalm to bless the nations in your book. And you, you talked about uh, Jonah's call to uh, Nineveh to release the mercy of God. And the Lord has spoken to me a lot about that. And, you know, I, I just, if we had more prophets going to the nations and speaking of God's mercy, you know, what kind of transformation do you think that that would make? It's, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's the mercy of God. If you go to the old Testament, you see the Ark of the Covenant and you see the mercy seat was on top of that Ark of the Covenant. It's the mm -hmm. point is it's inviting. So when we speak of mercy, we're actually inviting people to, to come to know our Father. And uh, it's, it, you know, even when people reject what's being said, it still leaves a mark in their thinking. And it may be a point of reference they return to a week later or five years later. But the point is, is that we say what needs to be said and about the mercy, the kindness of God. And uh, uh, it's, it's, the scripture says that it's his kindness that leads to repentance. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the things we do is we speak to people about his kindness, because in that is the invitation to turn to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think if we're honest, I think if we become really vulnerable and honest about the fact that none of us have anything um, that wasn't given to us by the mercy of God, the fact that we're breathing um, is, is, is proof that he is merciful to us. The fact that while we were still sinners, God sent his only son, you know, yeah, and, and I, I think if we're, if we're very vulnerable and very honest, you know, we can begin to invite people into that. And you're right. It's, it's, it's the mercy of God. It's the kindness of God, you know, and their hearts begin to burn as they see Jesus in us it opens the door for them to accept this beautiful savior. It's not the judgment. You know, Jonah says, I knew you were going to be merciful to them. I knew it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. This has been the most amazing conversation. It has been such an honor to have you with me. Is there anything burning on your heart that you would like to say directly to our listeners today? The one thing that I, I like to emphasize for all of us is that it is our responsibility to keep hope alive in our hearts. Um, one of our gals told us years ago, uh, the person with the most hope has the most influence. Mm. And that really is where we're at right now. There's, you know, there's enough craziness going on that it wouldn't take you but five minutes to get into a deep depression. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have to feed ourselves, not on uh, like the spirit of denial or something, mm-hmm. feed ourselves on the surpassing greatness of God's glory, the surpassing greatness of his promises, the surpassing greatness of his intent. Uh, he intends uh, for uh, this to be a season of glorious outpouring. And if we can maintain hope, we will always be more aware of the opportunities that God gives us. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have hope, we miss the, the slightest indicators that God is present and wanting to do something in and through us. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say, I would say, make sure that we live with hope, constantly live with hope. And mm-hmm. hope is not, biblical hope is different than uh, the hope that's talked about in our culture. In our culture, hope is kind of a wish. Uh, the biblical word for hope actually can be translated the joyful anticipation of good. It's, it's excited before the good thing happens. And that's what hope is. You talked about that biblical difference. It's not, oh, I hope this is going to happen. It's that confident expectation that something good will happen and that God wants to be good. And I just, I know in my experience, he always wants to be good. He always wants to move. He always wants to bless people. He always wants to give, you know, he, he just can't help it. It's who he is. It's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Will you pray for our listeners if they are struggling with that hope? I know so many are so discouraged. Will you pray that they'll be able to see through the lens that God wants them to see through right now, to see what he wants to do in their area of influence, right where they're at, whether they're in the secular or the sacred or, or, or wherever it is. Yeah, for sure. Father, we turn, we turn our hearts to you, confident in your goodness so extremely kind and merciful and good. My, my request is that you would make that so obvious to your people in the season. Mm-hmm. Those who have fallen into despair or hopelessness uh, somehow come under the influence of the lies that uh, permeated our culture or that there would be a true healing and deliverance from that mindset, from the poison that has infected uh, their hearts about this day that we live in. And that you'd help us to be so infatuated with you, with your kindness, your goodness, your promises to us, that, that hope is the only logical response to the day that we live in. Make that clear for all of us. Let all of us increase in hope and in faith and in love for the day that we live in. Thank you, Father, for your kindness and your mercy. Thank you for opportunities like this to publicly boast in your goodness. Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. Well, if you want to get a copy of Bill's book, The Mind of God, and I would highly recommend it. I think I highlighted just almost every chapter and almost every section. Um, It's really good. You can get it at uh, bakerpublishinggroup.com. You can get it on Amazon, uh, wherever books are sold. You can get it 
on the um, Bethel store. And I will put links to all of these places. Um, and you can also get it on his ministry website at bjm.org. I'll put links uh, in the show notes on cpnshows.com under Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. And you can find more ways to connect with him as well. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Great, great to talk to you. Oh, it was so great to talk to you. Thanks. 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 Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I hope today's episode has blessed you. Please subscribe, share it with your friends, and don't forget to sign up for our ministry mailing list for more encouraging content about our beautiful Savior, Jesus. Just text JESUS to 1-833-815-7778. That's 1-833-815-7778. 7778. And of course, it's your turn now to join the conversation. Send me your burning questions, leaders you would like to hear from in the body of Christ, your testimonies, and more. Just click join the conversation in the show notes. And for more information about our ministry, visit us at ChristinaPereira.org. Until next week, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus. God bless.